job prior to entering the ministry was to work as a community worker in a church north of the border, a community worker. Now, the area in which I worked was um, one of the poorest and one of the most deprived areas in the whole of Scotland. And so you can kind of imagine what it was like. It was a, a really rough part of the world, a really rough area. And the people that I worked with were, uh, they were rough, hard, hard as nails. People. Here's the thing though, you were okay working there. Like you were, even if you were an outsider in that area, you were alright and you were safe so long as you knew the rules, okay? See, the part of the town that I worked in was different to the other parts of the town. This part of the town was kind of revolved around, you know, big households, you know? Like big uh, clans. And so you were okay, and you were safe so long as you never, ever, ever, ever said anything against a person's family, you know? Like, if you if you did that, if you were to say something against someone's brother, or even if you were to say something against someone's, like, third cousin, sort of twice removed, even if you did that, let me assure you, you would be running out of that town as fast as your wee legs could carry you. Now... We might think that's an odd way to be. But in some senses, isn't it true that we're kind of all like that? Like family is always, always an emotive issue for us, isn't it? Like in here just now, we are, we have either had bad relationships with family And so we're sensitive to the issue. Or we are currently going through a kind of difficult time with family and we are sensitive to the issue. Or things are rosy with our families, things are great with our families, we're protective of our families and therefore sensitive to the issue. Do you see it? Like Family is always for us, always an emotive topic. And so because of that, I don't mind saying that this morning, with a slight sense of trepidation, we turn to God's words and we turn to that issue, that emotive issue of family, and perhaps most especially to just how it is that a person can gain entrance into the very family of Almighty God. So today we consider family. Tell you, I will do it. Let's bow our heads in prayer and then we'll turn back to God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for what already what we've been able to do to praise you, a holy God, together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are in here and we are pleading with you to speak to us through your Holy Spirit, through your word. Lord, we desire that. We need this. We long to know more of you, that we might worship you as the church of Jesus Christ should do. So we ask, Lord, speak. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, friends, if you haven't already, I would ask you to turn back with me in your Bibles to the New Testament book of Mark. And it is just that short section from verse 31 of Mark 3 that we're going to consider. 
And the first thing that we should really consider here is what we see about the empathy of Jesus in these verses. The empathy of Jesus. Okay, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the last time that we were in Mark's Gospel, we looked at Jesus' family, didn't we? Like, uh, do you remember what happened? Jesus' family had set out, and they set out to fetch Jesus. Do you remember what the issue was for the family? Do you remember what happened? Jesus' very own family had thought he had gone insane. Like, Jesus' family thought that he had gone mad. Now, here this morning, what happens is that we have a resumption of that very storyline. There's been the bit with the Pharisees in the middle. Now we're coming back to think about Jesus' family. And what we learned this morning is that they didn't just set out to find Jesus. This morning we find that they actually arrived. They are here. They are at the door. So what do we need to be thinking about here? Friends, first thing that I would ask you to think about is really quite simple. Simply the reality of Jesus' earthly family. Do we think about that at all? Have you given that any serious prayerful thought? The very fact that Jesus had, he had an earthly family. But he did. So wait a minute, who was, let's, let's go through this. Who, who was in Jesus' earthly family? Who was part of his family? Well, the obvious thing to state is that Jesus had a, a dad, didn't he? He had Joseph, he had a father, a, a, a man who raised Jesus, a man uh, who would be with Jesus. But get this, a man who by this stage in Mark's gospel would seem to have died and passed away. So Jesus had Joseph growing up, right? You got that. What's the other really obvious thing to say? Jesus had a mum, right? We know that everybody knows this. There's Mary. But wait a minute. She was a faithful mother, wasn't she? Like, she was a loving mom. She was a concerned mom. She was one who would be with Jesus to the very end, to the cross. So he had a dad and he had a mom. That's it, is it? That's Jesus' family. It's not, is it? Have a look at verse 31. Just look down at verse 31. What are we dealing with here? Who comes knocking on that door? Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. And again, I'll ask you the same question. Look, have you ever given that any serious thought to the fact that Jesus grew up with brothers? Jesus had brothers! Who are these guys? Uh, Well, what we learn in Matthew's gospel is that Jesus had at least four brothers. That there was, let me get this right, Joseph and James and there was Simon and Judas. Now, we don't know all that much about Joseph. We don't know all that much about Simon. What about Judas? Well, we know that Judas would actually go on to write the New Testament book of Jude. Did you know that? That the the author of Jude was one of Jesus' earthly, earthly brothers. And then what about the other guy? James. Who's James? Well, we know that though unbelieving here... The resurrected Christ would go on appear to James, and James would go on to be one of the most prominent people in the New Testament church. Isn't it quite something we begin to pick away at this? Isn't it quite something to think about our Lord growing up and growing up in the company 
of four brothers. So there we go. Come on, that's, that's Jesus' family, isn't it? You've got Jesus, you've got his mum, you've got his dad, and you've got his brothers. Is that it? It's not, is it? It's not, is it? Because what we also know is that Jesus had sisters too. Again, we don't know all that much about them, but again, from Matthew's gospel and the language there, we can deduce that there was quite a few sisters, numerous sisters. Isn't that amazing? This morning in here, we are face to face with the very sort of humanity of Jesus. He grew up in a family, and he grew up in what seems to be quite a large family. What, what do we do with that? Okay, Jesus is part of a family. Well, how do we apply this? What does this mean? Tell you what, let me speak to the boys and girls for a moment. So kids, you'll have to try and listen to me. Can you hear me? You'll have to put down your crayons and your coloring pens and so forth. But I want to tell the kids just a very, very quick story. Okay, so you, you listen to me. When I was a wee boy, probably about the age of some of, some of you back there, I was having an argument with my wee brother and he probably won't believe that, I hope he won't believe that I ever did this. Uh, but we, he's really annoying me, my brother. Really annoying me. So what I did was I went and I found his favourite teddy bear. And what I did was I pulled the arm off my wee brother's favourite teddy bear. Which sounds bad, but I'm not finished. <laughs> what I then did was I hid the arm <laughs> so that my mum could not sew that arm back onto my brother's favourite teddy bear. Now that's wicked, isn't it? Boys and girls. That's a terrible thing to do. But isn't that what we're like? Like we fight with our families and our mums and our dads and our brothers and sisters, they really annoy us, don't they? But I think what we're learning here in Mark 3 is what we should do in a situation like that. Are you listening, boys and girls? The next time that our families annoy us, what do we do? We, we pray. That if you're being annoyed by brothers and sisters and mums and dads, you go into your room, you move yourself into your room and you pray. Why? Because Jesus understands. Jesus had a family. Isn't that a thought? Like Jesus knows what it's like when mum is being unreasonable. Like Jesus knows what it's like when big brother has been nasty or when the little sister has just been horrible. Jesus understands exactly what that is like. So what do we do? We pray about these things. But friends, let's not make a mistake here. Let's not think, even for a second, that that is a message just for the boys and girls. I mean, isn't it a message for us? I mean, think about the situation here in Mark chapter 3. What is going on here? Jesus' family are raging with him. Like Jesus' family have travelled for miles and miles and miles and they think he is out of his mind and they are angry with him. All this Christian stuff, all this spiritual stuff, they are angry. Do you see the point? It's not just for the kids. Jesus knows exactly what it is like to go through a seismic division in our families. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to face what seem to be 
irreconcilable differences with the people we love. He knows what that's like. Shouldn't that change how we approach and how we view our family problems? Shouldn't it? What do we do with these things? We take them to Jesus. We pray about these things. We need to do that. Friends, I think that what we're seeing here should make us praise God. We should praise God for the simple fact that our Lord Jesus had an earthly family. He knows what it is like. We praise God that we do not have a high priest who is... We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. We see here the empathy of Jesus. Second thing that we should see here is the priority of Jesus. So we see something of his empathy, but we also see his priority. I tell you what, let's play it like this. Let's just read the first couple of verses. Would you do that? Would you follow uh, with me from verse 31? Let's just remind ourselves of what's going on here. So from verse 31. Okay. So then, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call Jesus. And a crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. What does Jesus say? Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. It's, uh, it's probably stating the obvious a little bit, uh, but preachers hate to be interrupted. Okay, kind of obvious thing to say. Preachers, all preachers, hate to be interrupted. And I am on a bit of a roll with this at the moment in church. A uh, couple of weeks ago, I get up the front and begin to preach, and, you know, working through the sermon, and then my microphone explodes, and I'm interrupted. And then, the very next Sunday, might even have been that same night, I get up the front, and I'm making a preach, and I start preaching. What happens? firework display begins outside the church and again I'm interrupted forever being interrupted now isn't that what's happening here in Mark like we know that Jesus is in this building and it's crammed full of people and we know you know Jesus is preaching what happens Jesus is preaching here he's interrupted like you can imagine it you know there's a bit of a commotion and word sort of makes its way through this massive crowd to Jesus. Like, Jesus, your mum's outside. Your dad's outside. And there's, like, there's an obvious kind of expectation here as well, isn't there? Like, everyone in that room is sort of thinking, okay, Jesus is going to make his excuses. He's like, sorry. And he's going to go outside and he's going to face the music with his mum and his brothers. Right? That's the assumption. Is that what happens? It isn't what happens. What happens? Jesus has been interrupted. He continues to preach. Anyway, what's going on there? Like when Jesus continues to preach, and when Jesus says, did you see what he says? Like when Jesus says, you know, who are my 
mother and my brothers who are the... What's going on there? Like, is Jesus at that point sort of disowning his earthly family? Is is he sort of distancing himself from his mom and his brothers? Is he sort of forsaking? Is that how you're reading it? That's not what happens here. See, I know that many of you are fans of the uh, US TV show Arrested Development. I know that's true because you've talked to me about this. Now, if you've never seen Arrested Development, uh, it follows uh, the Bluth family. Okay? Now, the the Bluths are, uh, what would you say, They're, they're certainly materially wealthy people, but they are morally... Uh, bankrupt. Okay, now, all the way through this series, it doesn't matter if you've seen it or not, all the way through the series, there's this kind of running theme. What happens is that the main character, this guy, Michael Bluth, he's forever asking his son the same question. Like, he's always asking his son, he's saying, son, what is the most important thing? And his son will reply back to him, dad, the most important thing is Family. So nearly every episode, we are confronted with those guys' number one priority. And isn't that what's happening here? Like when Jesus Christ here, when he continues to preach, when he says, who are my mother and my brothers, what is he doing? Is he disowning his family? No, what he is doing is revealing to you his number one priority. That the claim that family has on him, it's actually supplanted by the claim that Almighty God has on him. Do you see it? That the number one priority for Jesus isn't obedience to his earthly family. What is it? It is obedience to the will of his heavenly Father. Wait a minute, we have to, we have to apply that. What does that mean for us? Well, surely we have to give that some serious thought. Surely you have to ask yourself, is that true of me, friends, is it? Is following the will of God in your life, is that so essential to you that it even supplants the desires and wishes of your family? Does it? Let me ask the younger people here. I don't know how we classify that. But let's say anyone under 40. Is God your number one? Is he? I mean, would you, would you follow a career path that God lays on your heart if it means going against the desires and wishes of your parents? Would you do that? Like what about the rest of us? I mean, is God really number one? Would we take a job in another country that God wants for us if it means being away from some of the people that we love? Would we take a less well-paid job that God wants for us if it means that we've got less money to lavish on the people that we cherish so dear? Would we do that? Friends, most importantly, would we do this? Like, would we do Mark 3? Can I ask you this? Are you, just now, in your life, are you willing to continue preaching and speaking and witnessing to the glory of Jesus Christ, even if it means facing the wrath and the anger 
and the antagonism of the people you cherish and the people you love. Are you willing to do that? Are we willing to do that? Friends, what Scripture teaches is that your family is important to God. Like family is something that is gifted to us by God. It's something created by God. It's something that points to God. But I think what we're learning in Mark chapter 3 is that family should never ever supplant God as our number one priority. And I know that. I know that that is hard and I know that that is challenging, but surely what we're seeing here, it forces us to ask God this week for a greater love of him, doesn't it? And a greater love of his gospel. So we see the empathy of Jesus, but we see his priority. Obedience to God was his number one. Third thing, last thing. We also see, quite simply, something of the family of Jesus here, the family of Jesus. So, okay, you, you get the story, the people have arrived, the family have arrived. In some ways, you could almost say they've kind of been overlooked by Jesus, maybe not. What happens next? Well, what did I say a minute ago? I said preachers hate to be interrupted. Hate to be interrupted. The other obvious thing to say about preachers is that they're always kind of on the lookout for good sermon illustrations. Always, you know? Like, even when I'm talking to you, you know? looking for, you know, we're we're always trying to uh, sort of work out, you know, how to get what's happening in the world. How does that illustrate things? How do we, how do we use what is going on in the world? Isn't that what happens in Mark chapter 3? I mean, do you see what I mean? Like Jesus is preaching here. What does he do? He uses the circumstances. Do you see that? Like, his mum arrives, his dad arrives. What does he do? He uses that as, an, not his dad, his brothers, but he uses that as an illustration of just who it is that forms part of his spiritual family. And what does he do? Do you see what he does? He points at the people who are directly in front of him. Like, they're in a circle. Who is it, do you think? Surely it's his disciples and a few other people sitting immediately around Jesus. He points to these people and he says, do you know what? These people are my family. And you can sort of imagine how that goes down in the house, you know? Like it's crowded and people are kind of scratching their heads and they're thinking, what is he talking about? I mean, those disciples aren't part of Jesus' family. We know these guys. They're not part of his family. But do you see that Jesus explains it? And friends, if you come into this building this morning and you are unsure about Christianity and you're unsure about what the Bible teaches you and what is the core of Christianity, will you just listen here to what Jesus says? Listen to these words. He says, whoever does God's will, whoever does God's will is my brother, my sister. And my mother, do you see what the message is? Whoever repents of their sin, as God desires. Whoever trusts in God's saving work, what happens to that person? They automatically gain entrance into that inner circle. They gain entrance into the very family of Almighty God. Isn't that wonderful? Now, at every point this morning, what we've tried to do is... And by the Spirit of God, take Mark 3 and apply it 
So what I want to do here as we close is just underline what all of this means for you if you are a follower of Jesus. Like what do these verses mean for you if you are a Christian this morning? Can I just say two things as we close? One, listen to this. It means that by faith, you have entered into a new and better family. See, I've, I've been here as minister for, um, Catherine and I were talking about this during the week. So I've been here for just over three years, okay? Now, that means something. That means that by now I know that a lot of you in here hate this topic. Like I know that a, a lot of people in here have had awful experiences of home life and you have had miserable experiences of family. And I'm asking you, do you see what you're learning here? I mean, do you see what has happened to you in Lord Jesus Christ? You have been ushered by the grace of God into a new family, and it is a better family, and it's a family that though today is flawed, will one day be a perfect family. Do you see what that means? We're going into a family that one day will be entirely free from bullying. Entirely free from it. Entirely free from insult or from abuse or free from accusations. You see what it means for you to be a Christian? You are part of a better, a better, and one day a perfect family. But the second thing that it means, get this, is that by faith, you have entered into a new relationship with Jesus. Isn't that what this is about? Like, we hear of twins, don't we? Like, we hear of siblings that are so close that they sort of say stuff like, oh, well, I know what the other one's thinking. And I can sort of finish the other person's sentence for them. We hear that, don't we? Don't you realize that if you are a Christian, your relationship with the Lord God... It's better than that. It's closer than that. You aren't close to Jesus. You are united by faith to Jesus. That he isn't one who pretends to know what you're thinking. Today you have one who knows absolutely your needs and your desires and your wants and your situations. He knows that about you. Do you see what you have? By the cross, you've got a new relationship. No, you've got a new sibling. The very Son of God. Who is he for you? He is your elder brother. And then let's, let's close with this. Friends, would you all do this for me? Would you ask yourself whether what we are seeing here this morning is true of you? Like I know some people come into a church and because of that, they say or assume that they are Christians. But is this true? I mean, are you part of the family of God? Are you part of this family? Let me say this. Ngozi is part of that family. And Monica is part of that family. And perhaps more amazingly, Maisie is part of that family that for the first time this morning in coming into the membership of this church, for the first time, 
She is publicly declaring today that by that grace of God, that God has ushered her into this family of faith. Do you not want that? Do you not want to be part of that family? Do you not want to say with Maisie and with Ngozi and with me and with the rest of us, do you not want to say how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we might become, what is it? That we might become children of God. Do you not want that? Because friends, let me tell you, that is what we are. Sinners like you and me. What are we by God's grace? We are part of the clan. We are part of the kin. We are part of the household. We today in Christ Jesus are part of the very family of God. Let's pray.